this is Jack Brody. And I'm today happy to talk to an old friend of mine. Uh, we're living at the 45 with Mark Kyle. And uh, Mark, say hi from Hawaii. Shaka, okay, shaka, shaka. Very good. Mark and I go back a ways. We used to play tennis together. We used to talk tennis, you know, 45 degree angle, figure eight. Way back when, uh, 20, 25 years ago. Uh, and um, I knew him when he moved to San Diego area because I knew he was the, I believe, what is your title? The lowest ranked player to ever beat number one or to beat Pete Sampras? It's one of those well, two. I'm the worst player ever to beat Pete Sampras. Uh, but <laughs> when, when he was in the top 10, I was ranked 224 when I beat him in 1991 on grass. That's incredible. He wasn't number one at the time. He was number eight. It was a year after he won the U.S. Open, and it was at the Queen's Club ATP event in London. And uh, I had been playing for a few years. I had left college at University of South Florida. Uh, I was ranked 268 in the world when I left college uh, as a collegiate player. But unfortunately, I never got into the NCAAs. Our schedule was a little bit limited, but it was still pretty good. I I, I kind of improved when I went when I moved from Albuquerque to uh tampa and went to usf I, I made a big jump and in the summers i played the futures and then i went on the tour and i got a sponsor a teammate of mine's uh father of uh, uh japanese players father uh gave me uh some finances to go on the tour uh but i still was 268 i was the second highest ranked collegiate player in college number one was a guy top 100 at the time jeff tarango from stanford but, sure, but I know I Jeff. Ranked, I know Jeff. You know Jeff. You know oh, yeah. this Jeff Tarango, but I was ranked to like 42 in college. So, but we had a pretty good schedule, Jack. Well, you know, uh, I'm guessing number one at 90, 1991, was that Leighton Hewitt? Number one when, in 91 was, I believe, uh, still uh, Edberg or uh, Becker. Uh, was up there. I think Lendl was at the end of his career, but uh, Ed Berg, Becker, uh, McEnroe still was top 20. He was at the end, uh, but it was uh, pretty strong tennis time, pretty strong group up there in the top 10. The nineties were a great era. In my opinion, they were really, that was still, that was still the end of the nineties, mid nineties. We, there were still a lot of serving volleyers, which I played. That was my style of play, uh, which I learned growing up in Albuquerque, uh, you know, I know I've played a few sets against you. I can't keep you off the net. And, and if you first serve, <laughs> if, you're, if your well, first serves too big and, and too well-placed, I'm like, fine. I just got to get a serve back. I know I can take some points here. If I get a serve back, you know? just, just make me move now. Now I wouldn't want to play you. I'm a little, little, <laughs> little, got a few extra pounds, but uh, yeah. Uh, you know, growing up in Albuquerque, it's similar to where you live. In Denver, it's high altitude tennis. So all I did was serve and volley when I was growing up. I, I uh, that's where I learned how to play south of you down there from Colorado in, in Albuquerque. And actually, we're, Albuquerque should be called a mile high city because we're we're actually a mile high too, like Denver. And so there's not. I never really knew. I didn't know that. I thought you were lower desert. I didn't no, know that. We, Albuquerque is a mile high, so we, it's exactly the same altitude as Denver. Oh. So we, we're the second mile high city. A lot of people don't know that. But yeah, growing up in Albuquerque, as you know, when you move from San Diego, I don't know how you're, how are you adjusting from the low altitude to the balls flying everywhere? Well, it's funny. It did take me a couple of weeks. 
the first couple of weeks out here, I played with a couple of guys and yeah, all the balls were going long and balls were skidding. It seemed like it skid moved a little quicker and, uh, and I wasn't used to it. Plus I was sucking wind a little. My first time I played was way up high, up around uh, 8,700 feet uh, up in winter park. And that was the first time I played out here. And that's really, that's way higher than Denver. And uh, <laughs> I was sucking wind. Uh, so it was a little strange in that respect. Now, after a year, I got to tell you, my health, you know, my lungs feel great out here. And I don't drink as much beer because you can't. <laughs> you right. can't because you just get too buzzed. <laughs> so I can't do that. Since I stopped playing in 01, I've, I've coached for 20 years and different uh, locations around the world. I coached in Kazakhstan at a tennis academy. I went to China. I just kind of like to go to I, my teaching philosophy was go to a few place, go to a place for a couple of years and, and give, give, give what I know wherever I'm at and uh, then move on. Uh, I like to, I, I like to travel a lot, but now that I'm older now, I, I, I'm, I'm pretty much settled here in Waikiki beach. Uh, since my dad, uh, he, he, after Albuquerque, when I went to college, he became a research scientist at, at UH Manoa. And so he was here for 30 years and I moved here eight years ago to be nearer to him. I didn't live with him, but I had an apartment in Waikiki and he unfortunately uh, passed away in March. So it's okay. It was great last because when I left at 18, my condolences, my, my condolences. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, when I left at 18, I didn't see my family very much. My mom, uh, my parents are divorced. My mom lives in Peoria. I'm going to go visit her this, this weekend and uh, for Thanksgiving. And uh, yeah, so uh, it was great to see him. I, I saw him every few weeks. We had lunch and it was great to reconnect because, you know, like I said, at 18, I went to college and then I went on the tour for 12 years and then I coached internationally and nationally. But San Diego was great. I met you and you introduced me to this contraption, the 45 board. What's the, <laughs> the, what's eight, the title? Is it the, it, what's, is, what's the title? It was, it was the eight board, remember? Yeah, now, the eight board. Eight board. Yeah, now I have these. Now I now I have these, you know, they're always sitting on the ground with wherever I am. So I have these two swivels. So, you know, when I need to, I, you know, I have to get up and, and relax a little off the state off the, uh, you know, computer. I just get on and do my figure eighting, but they're uh, same thing as we had, same things we have, but they're not attached anymore. And they work better, of course, because it's 20 more years of, you know, ingenuity or research and development, whatever you want to call that. Awesome. What a great invention. Such a great teaching tool. Uh, I always, when I, when I, when I do teach lessons, I always talk about your hitting the ball at a 45 degree angle, which I think is so important. Such Man a, knows such, what he's such, talking about. Such an important uh, teaching tool is for hitting at 45 because then you're in front of it, but not too far in front, not too far back. But <laughs> That's right. It, it, it's a great, it's a great, well, it gives people, it gives people a visual, you know, of what perfection would look like if there's perfection, right? That's what Correct. it is really. Correct. Yeah. Anyway, well, I'm glad you're using our system. That's terrific. And, and that'll, that'll bode well for me using that part of this clip. <laughs> <laughs> sure. But uh, so tell me something. I know people are going to want to hear this because you or what I would call, and I got a lot of friends that did just what you did. You know, I got one of my boys now, Warren Woods out there, just got his eighth ATP point, I think. So he's like top 1100 in the world. So, you know, journeyman is what I'm talking about. So you're a journeyman ball player out there in 1990. And um, 
what I mean, I'm sure it's different back then than it is today. I know today you have to travel all over. And and my guy's gotten a lot of his points out in Africa, actually, because he had to travel that far. And I think some in Mexico, too. Um, but for starters, what was it like back then in the early 90s, you know, grinding it out as a journeyman? Just just a little background. That that would be very interesting to me. No problem. Yeah, well, I, I, I played the Nationals. Uh, the last three years of my junior career in Albuquerque, Kalamazoo, and a couple hard courts. So I got a national ranking, but I wasn't really highly recruited. So I wrote over 100 schools. My dad was a professor, and I got a letter, and I, a form letter, and I wrote, because back then they didn't have the uh, these, these recruiting websites where you're like five-star recruit or whatever, and they come sure. after you. At that time, uh, uh, my father said, I put a little money into your t junior career. I, I, you need to get a full scholarship. Uh, I had a few walk-on opportunities at top 10 schools, but my father said, well, you, I think you should play. You deserve a full scholarship. So I, University of South Florida answered my letter and, and I went on a visit and I got a full scholarship. And actually that was a, that was a huge, huge uh, point in my career as far as becoming a pro, because I never would have been a pro if I would have stayed. I was going to go to University of New Mexico where my dad was a professor, but I didn't get a full ride offer. Uh, so I, I went to South Florida and Tampa and Florida, as you know, is, is a hotbed of tennis. And, and, and I arrived there as a freshman. I played four of my fall, my freshman year. And then I played one, my, I, I just really improved a lot there, the low altitude and my attacking style of chip and charge came in. And then I got up and in the summers, I'd play some futures in the States and uh, I did pretty well. And then I went to South Africa. I took my finals early my sophomore year and I played some 25,000s because I was ranked like 450 because I, I, I did pretty well in the futures. But I wasn't that great of a collegiate player for some reason. I don't know why. Uh, just the whole team aspect was great, but I was more of an individualistic person. And uh, so then when I came back to school, like I was ranked 268 uh, entering my junior year. And then I played the fall. And uh, uh, after I did well at those challengers, a teammate of mine's dad came to me and said he had a golf academy in, in, in Tampa. His father did. He was Japanese. And he said, I'm going to give you 30000 a year for five years. We just want 30% of your prize money. Would you like to go on the tour? Because they knew that I was a little stagnating a little bit at South Florida. Now they have a big time program. They're close to top 25. Uh, but we had a good schedule. We played the Gators, the Canes, the Seminoles. Uh, some school schools in the southeast so I decided to go on the tour and that's and that was what was what enabled me is having that money and I gave him a little bit of percentage but I was playing to be honest to make it in pro tennis you need to play especially when you're starting out you need to play almost 40 tournaments a year unless you're a guy like Pete Sampras who's so talented and can just move up so quickly but these days it's so so much depth Jack that you gotta you gotta uh you got you got to grind. You got you got to go. It's just, and, but it's fun though. You got the thing is, is if you don't really love the game and have passion for it, don't even think about going on the tour. You got to love traveling. You got to want to see the world. But even at the future events, back then they were satellites. It's great. You get free housing most of the time. There's there's you know there's are people watching a little bit. You just got to love the whole process. And I never thought I'd be a pro tennis player at all until my USF college coach Fred. Uh, Bill Parent said, you know, I think you should give the, the pro tour a shot. And so I did. And then it took a couple of years, but I actually had an injury. I broke my foot uh, when I when I started playing and I dropped to 800. But then I came back and my highest singles ranking was 167. But, uh, you know, 
when I was 24 is when I when I was playing the, the, the qualities of Queens and uh, I was ranked 224. So I was on the cusp and I'd been playing for a few years and I was thinking, well, if this doesn't happen soon or something doesn't big in my life doesn't happen, I'm probably going to just go back and finish school and, uh, and and get a real job. But, you know, so uh, before Queens, I was playing doubles and challengers and I, on the slow German red clay, and I was winning a couple challengers, serving and volleying, serving and volleying. And it was sure, great. sure. You'd be a better doubles so, player. So I was prime. So I showed up at Queens, and I got into qualies. And uh, sure enough, you know, Pete Sampras, he was eight in the world at the time. He, it was a year after he won the U.S. Open. He wasn't physically developed. Like, he obviously, we can't compare careers. But he he was still a good player, obviously, eight in the world. And uh, he, uh, I think after he lost in the French, I don't know, pretty early that year, he went always home, early, to, always he by went the home to California. And so uh, he wasn't really... And then, and then he came, his first grass court turn was clean. So the stars all aligned. My dad was a, a star scientist. So so I went to the qualies at Queens Club, beautiful club. By the way, in my opinion, they're the best grass courts in the world. They're better than Wimbledon, in my opinion. They really I, are. They're, they're, in fact, I think they hired the Queens uh, yardsman, the guy that the grass court guy, to go from Queens uh, 25 years ago to Wimbledon. But they changed the grass. That's a whole nother story, though. It's much slower now. But back in the day, and since my days of growing up in Albuquerque, serving and volleying, that's where I learned how to play. So I played the qualities, and I played three guys to get in the main draw. And each match went three sets. So I've already played nine sets of grass court tennis. So I'm feeling good. Uh, I played three British guys, but they all went three sets. Uh, and then the first round, I played a top 100 player from Germany by the name of Patrick Bauer. Good player. And then I beat him in three sets. So I had 12 sets because Pete had a bye. So June 11th, 1991 is the day that I played. And then subsequently, you talked about me being a journeyman. Well, I made a documentary film called The Journeyman about my life on the tour. So, so then I played. So I've had 12 sets under my belt. Sampras has got a bye. It's a blustery, windy day. I go out to warm up with the guy named Brad Pierce, who's from Utah, close state to you. He was the head coach at BYU, and he was a quarterfinalist in singles at Wimbledon one year. Great junior, played at UCLA. And so he warms me up, and he says, Mark, you can beat this guy. And I had no real confidence. I knew it was, was going to be, obviously, a huge opportunity for me. The match was live on BBC in Europe. So I get out there. The cameras are on. And the whole time, I'm just looking down at the, down at the, uh, at the ground because I'm really nervous. There's about... 5,000 people watching at Center Court, Queens Club, London, Palliser Road, England. So I'm warming up. I play the first set I'm on because I played 12 sets. He just got there a few days before, and he hasn't played any practice sets. And it's windy as hell. And it's windy. And you know Pete <coughs> hates wind. He hates, he hates wind. wind. So the stars are lining up, lining up. And so then I win, I win the first set really easy, 6-2. And he had never heard of me, he had said in the press conference after. But I was 224, you know, and I, I, I'd i been on the road for three years playing 35 weeks a year, grinding it out, futures, challengers, doing well, doing okay in both. I think I was like 200 in doubles also. And then I, uh, on the ATP tour, the second set was a tight battle. It came to a tiebreaker. And if I would have lost that set, I would have lost the match because he was really getting into a groove. So I pulled yeah. it out in the second set breaker. And uh, that, you know, rest, you know, that, and then, and then that kind of gave me the confidence after beating him. He was eight in the world to say, okay, maybe I should stay out here a little bit longer. And subsequently, I became 
a double specialist because I started making more money playing doubles and I got to 32 in the world and won five ATP tour titles and doubles. But unfortunately, the next match, I played Malavea Washington and a uh, great player. He got to the final. Great and player. And I, I won the first set 7-6. And I'm looking at the crowd like, I'm going to win the tournament. Then he beats me two and three. So that's another thing. Is you got, <laughs> you you got to stay in the you moment. You woke up. <laughs> well, you got to stay in the moment. Exactly. He woke up and you got to stay in the moment. So, uh, but uh, that was that was a great, great week of my life. And then uh, at the end of my career, when I was declining, and when I was 32, I made a documentary film uh, about life on the tour with another player. You, and you can get it on Vimeo. It's called The Journeyman. And there's a... Uh, uh, part two of that too, called Journeyman Two, about life on the tour, what it's like to be a pro tennis player. But it was at the end of my career; it was kind of a catharsis. I wasn't working that hard. I was having marriage problems. I ended up marrying a beautiful Swede when I met on the tour. But uh, yeah, so that was that day was great. And I, you know, make a joke out of the worst player. But I was the lowest ranked player ever to beat Mr. Sampras when he was top ten in singles at two twenty four. When he was top ten. Wow, that is an unbelievable story. So I guess I knew you the whole time you were in San Diego. Somehow we got yeah, fortunate well, I, enough because we I, hung I, out a lot, working, you and I. I worked at La Costa Resort and Spa for uh, for That's a little right. bit. That's and, right. Uh, uh, that was, and that was that was a good experience. And then I moved on. I went to Hong Kong and taught tennis. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I coached uh, a women's player on the tour from San Diego, Ann Mall. She had no ranking, and we got her to play Davis Fed Cup for Ireland. Uh, so there was that was I remember Ann. I remember Ann well. Yeah, she 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 was a good player before, but then she took a break. And then she I met did a little she did a little modeling for me with the board. Awesome, awesome. Yes, good looking woman, great player. She's uh doing well. And you see this guy here. You see this guy right here? He just got an award at USDA Hall of Fame in her mouth. That's right. And his name's Anton and I work with him. I coach him and uh, I played him I, in, I think I played him here 10 years ago uh, in, in the USDA uh, uh, playoffs for, for the USDA wildcard tournament. I think, didn't he live in Hawaii for a while? He went to university. Uh, yeah. Uh, not university of Hawaii, but the other one, whatever it was HBU, called. HBU, Hawaii Pacific university. That's it. Hawaii Pacific. That's who he played for. And yeah, he was a great player. He played Davis cup for his country, uh, Belarus. And um, so right now our goal is to be number one in the nation men's 35. So he turned 35 about six months ago and we decided that was our goal. And I think he's already, you know, five, he's only played like four tournament, three tournaments. Wow. He's yeah, already great five. Player. He, great player. He smashed me. Is he, uh, does he work for you too? Does he teach tennis? Is that his living? Well, he teaches our style. He's one of my um, member pros, you know. He, he works with my my company, and uh, he he's coaching here in town and and does well there. But we've got it so he can go travel whenever we need to, and we go here and there. And we're going uh, to the Nationals. I believe they're in Arkansas next year, uh, like in April. And that's what we're gearing up for, is to win that tournament and to get the number one ranking. That's our goal. Awesome. I know Anton. I played him here. Uh, many years ago uh, at the USDA playoff. Yeah, he just smoked me. The guy was a nice guy. We talked about that. Yeah, that's that's great. No, there's no question. You, you, your knowledge of the game is great, Jackie. And I remember you coaching the number one junior in the country, Foreman. I forgot his first name. 
Steven. Yeah, I talked to him just recently. Yeah, Steve Foreman. And yeah, we worked with some good players, you know. I mean, why didn't just, why didn't Foreman why didn't Foreman go on the tour? Just didn't want to uh didn't want to work like that. Didn't want to he he knew what the reality was and he just didn't want to do he told me I flat out asked him. And the other boy, remember I Warren Wood, he's now back on tour at 27 or 28. And he's the one I just told you about. Who's about a thousand in the world, and got another guy, Nick, who got some uh, got financing, so he's out there. So they're out there awesome. you know, working it. Yeah, they're out there working it. And uh, but yeah, that's uh, that's great. You played Anton. That's funny. Tell me about that match. His his game doesn't suit you though, because if you tried to come force your way into net, he's pretty good when you give him a target. Well, this was. 2011 and I that was when I came back and lived for one year before I went to teach but then you know I've been retired for 10 years I was all out of shape overweight no he was this this was just now this was this was you know when I was 45 years old and he was still oh 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 yeah I played him when I was when I was 45 teaching tennis and you know definitely not in the best shape but no I mean but the guy I think he ended up winning that tournament and going to the playoffs in Connecticut. Cause if you win that, then you get a wild card into the U S open, but <clears throat> excuse me, mm-hmm. he was a phenomenal talent and they produced some pretty good players at HBU that and UH there's only two world tennis, tennis, uh, sure. Entities in town, uh, division one and their division two, but yeah, he's a, uh, I mean, that's great that he's working and teaching and, uh, uh, yeah, there's no. I, I I definitely see him being number one in the. In, in, he looks fit, looks lean and mean, and I'm sure you yeah. got him eating those good Colorado how uh, Colorado grass out there and eating well yep. and yeah. playing and he well. He and I we hit great. we hit the we hit the gym especially in the winter. We hit the gym probably more than the court. We hit the gym a lot, so we're trying. That's the big thing is to stay in shape when you're 35. You know, that's a pivotal point I think. Correct. And, uh, and uh, so he's staying in really good shape, like a kid, I think. And uh, hell, it's getting bet- me in better shape. I mean, I yeah. started working out with him about six months ago, and uh, I'm happy to be back in a little leaner, a little meaner, you know. Yes, yes. Yeah. So That's he's been awesome. inspirational for me, and he's a great guy. If you if you remember Anton, he's a great guy. Yes, very friendly, very nice, very fair. It was nice playing him. I remember we played out at Corp, uh, Central Oahu Regional Park. And that's when I met him. And, and uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, he was one. Of, he, I think he was an All-American at HPU Division Two. Uh, and uh, yeah, I mean, like you said, you got to have a different sense of mentality to go out on the tour. And this guy, Warren, that's great. He just needs to play a lot of events. It's expensive, too, but especially if you're starting out. Uh, but you got to play week in, week out. Or when you do get the opportunity to, to, to yeah. do well, it's- you're ready for it's it. always great to see these players at 28 or 30 some of the women at 30 32 or after they have a baby come back and play great tennis you know and, and change yeah i stopped at 32 you're totally correct it's great these guys are much more they're just especially just like in anything is evolution of sport they, they're getting uh a much more professionals word i like they're just more professional than back in the 90s and 80s and 70s every Every era seems to be more professional. Now they have teams. We never had a team. We went by ourselves usually because of the, you know, the prize money wasn't as lucrative as it is now, but yeah. So it was, uh, it's, it's, it's tough. Back in the nineties, it was great though, because you got to know your opponent more like, you know, 
and stay at the tournament hotel. And obviously it took me a few years before I made it in doubles, but you know, you get picked up in, in courtesy cars at the ATP tour level and you stay at nice hotels for free and you get two meals a day, breakfast and lunch. And then dinner, you just go down to the lobby, maybe have a beer, you know, at about five, just one, one beer. And then you go to dinner with your colleagues. But now it doesn't seem like it's they're even more so like robots. And it's just, I don't know if that's good or not, but it's just. Makes yeah, I know. To, I played a little bit of the tour. I played that watch tour back in like 75 or something. And, awesome. and, uh, and you know, uh, it, it was more like just a glorified junior tour, you know, I mean, it was just, and you know, you did have housing and stuff like that. It was kind of the same, but yeah, that was back in, you know, in the seventies. I mean, so that's a long time ago, but. Uh, Where did you play collegially? I started at Chapel Hill. And I finished at, and then I read, I played tournaments for a year. And then I went to UC San Diego and stayed there for 45 years. And uh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. I, I couldn't find any place better than, then I had enough after a while, but I'm happy to be here and, uh, you know, lived a lifetime on the, on the beach. Now I'm going to live a, the rest of my life on the mat in the mountains. So that's kind of cool. Awesome. You know what I mean? Yeah. Awesome, it's like having Jack. a whole nother shot at life here. Great. Hey, you know, you, you made me think of something. I'll ask you real quick. And I, I really appreciate your time. And these are great, great stories. I love them. And uh, so helpful for, for, I got college kids thinking about going pro now. Uh, even play ones, a lot of e events, get some backing, but you got to play week in, week out. Try to be based in a place where you can train with other great players. Tampa was great because I just moved from my college to Saddlebrook. I got an apartment there. I had a couple roommates. And then I started training with Soderbrook. And then at Soderbrook was Rosetsky, Sampras, Capriati, Hingis. And so I'm around that every day in between tournaments. And I'm starting to practice with them. So you get the feeling it's like a little osmosis. You start to feel, oh, I can play with them. Not I remember. I remember. I used to work for, uh, when I was 18, I worked for Harry Hopman. Great coach. That, uh, he's my guy. He was, Saddlebrook yeah. was the place I trained. Saddlebrook is where I, I worked for Saddlebrook for two summers. You know, just summer jobs. Oh, fun. It was crazy. What was, fun. What crazy. Was, what, what, what was he like? What was it like working for him? Hop was funny. You know, I got along really well with him, but he was, and I worked hard. I always worked hard. So he liked anyone who worked hard and, you know, I never, sh you know, shrugged off a run at the end of the day. I had to run five miles. I never, I just did it all and all that. And he liked you. And, and um, I was always uh, fond of the guy. He was could be a tough son of a bitch, though, for a lot of people. I mean, I do remember I, I only took a couple lessons. I mostly just worked for him. But I did take a couple lessons before when I was like 16 or 17. And he would be like, oh, no, younger, younger. But he was tougher as a coach. I liked working for him. When, I, when, he, when he was a coach, he'd just call me a girl and, you know, He'd spit on the ground, you know, you know, because he, you know, he'd have you at net and Gerolitis, you remember, he could fly all over the place. So Gerolitis was older than me a little bit. And so he was running around playing incredible tennis and Hopman loved him, of course, loved him. So he'd hit the ball in the alley and I'd just watch it go, you know, and I'm standing in the middle at the net. And, what are you, you girl? Go for every ball, you know, practice your starts. He always said, practice your starts, meaning practice your starts. And uh, yeah, he'd spit and he'd yell and scream. So, but I liked him anyway, because when he wasn't doing that, he's a pretty nice guy, sweet guy, you know, and I liked him. But uh, yeah, I just that, just when I took lessons those couple of times, boy, he was rough.
<laughs> he was opposite of Paul. Yeah, there was either going to Paul Terry's or, or or Hotman, and I got I got groomed by by the Hotman uh, method of, of 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 practicing, and it was great. Yeah, two on one grinding. Ones. When I when two I two on when ones, I went to the... two on ones all morning. Two the morning on ones, was two on two on two ones on one. in the morning, and then sets in the afternoon. That's right. Have that's little, exactly that's exactly lunch. what it was. Yep, that's what it was when I went there, and that's when it was when I worked for him. And uh, yeah, I always liked the afternoon because you just walked around. Every once in a while, you had to play the kids a set. Uh, but in general, uh, yeah, I went to his camp one year and it was a grinder. There's no doubt it was a grinder. They really, uh, he liked hard work, uh, you know, Harry. He liked hard work. But yeah, no, it was yeah. fun. But I was going to ask you one question. Um, so, you know, in golf, they got LIV, right? Yes. Because of many reasons, politics, this and that, money. Um, protecting your players. Well, you know, I, it dawned on me this morning. Well, just, I'm a big Djokovic fan. I wasn't, I was always a Fed fan, but Djokovic busted his way in and you had to give the guy credit for taking out Fed and Nadal. It was pretty thought unbelievable. I thought it was unbelievable back in the day and, uh, you know, 15 years ago. And I just think between that and banning the Russian players and the, and, and the WTA having to step up and all this stuff going on. And I mean, what they banned, I mean, Djokovic just doesn't hardly play the grand slams anymore, you know, kicked out of the U S open for just inadvertently hitting a ball. You know, I didn't think it was that bad really. And I'm like, you think there'll be a live in tennis? I see it. You know what, since you're, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're pretty entrepreneurial and looking into the future. And I think that's a great question. Not many people have talked about it, but you realize that in my opinion, uh, you know, I'm an ATP alumni member or I was, and, and yeah, so I, I, I support the union. They tried to do that separate union, but I think that's dead. Djokovic started this other players. And I don't know if I agree with that. But starting a whole other tour is a different situation. I think that is something because when you compare tennis, it's top eight in the world for sports. When you compare tennis to other sports, as far as like the 200th ranked basketball player compared to 200th ranked tennis player, the money discrepancy is just so big. I feel that they say, and I'm people might not like this, but they say, oh, you get 75 grand for the U.S. Open. That's unbelievable losing first round. I don't think that's enough. I think 300 grand. It's top 128 in the world. If you're top 128 baseball, basketball, golfer, just, just compare golf, individual sports. Golf prize money to tennis prize money is a joke. Compare it. The 200th ranked golfer is making almost double, in my opinion, I think, than the 200th ranked tennis player. So, it's coming to that situation where they need to have more tournaments. And I think another tour could possibly happen. I don't know when, uh, but obviously tennis isn't as popular as golf. That's where I think it might not work because so many people play golf in the world, a little bit more than tennis, but I definitely feel like I'm going to agree with you. I think there will be another tour in the next five years. That's what I think. I think it's coming. I think maybe even sooner than that, you know, uh, there'll be some wealthy people just saying, I can market this because tennis is very marketable. Let's face it. It's exciting. Listen, back in the early 80s, late 70s, there was more money in tennis than there was in golf. Before Tiger Woods and a lot of other things. Oh, wow. Interesting. Money. Okay. Okay. Yeah, there was okay, more I money didn't know that. 
Well, tennis was everything, right? Farrah Fawcett and Vinnie yeah. Van Patten. Every, yeah. and all the celebrities were going to La Costa when it was big, Vic Braden, it was on TV all the time, network TV. And I just think, um, you know, it was done right back then. And it was very exciting, very sexy sport when you were probably not even around. I think you're that much younger than me. And uh, I was born in 67. Yeah. That, but the tennis right. of the 70s, the boom was uh, huge, right. huge. That was right. Yeah. The Battle of the Sim Sexes. Battle yeah, of the battles, Sexes. Yeah. ABC Wide World of Sports. Exactly. They had the Alan King Classic in Vegas. They had the. Yeah, it's like tennis was like uh, in the seventies, like pickleball is right now. I guess I, I don't. I, I barely say the p word, but I played a I played a pro am uh, pro celebrity tournament at La Costa a couple of years in a row with uh, Ralph from Ralph's and uh, who was there? Mel Brooks. I played with him once. Uh, wow. So yeah, I mean, back in the late seventies, early eighties, that was the heyday, right? Hefs. Hef's Mansion. Everybody went to Hef's Mansion, played tennis, and you watched and you jumped in the jacuzzi. All the UCLA players, right? Yes. I mean, it was a whole different. Well, you, you, yeah, that's right. You don't know, but it was a whole different world back then, uh, you know, for tennis. So, yes, yeah, it sir. has to be done right. Um, I'll tell you, you know, Indian Wells, he does a good job out there. I know he makes small fortune every time. Ellison. Yeah, he does a great job out there great event yeah he's turned it into a, a fifth grand slam they say he basically yes great tournament but when i was one of my what was my worst defeat ever uh was at indian wells i got to the semifinals in doubles and i was playing with uh stefan kruger all-american out of smu south africa and you probably don't know him and we were playing luke jensen who you know you got murphy coming on on friday playing luke jensen and scott melville uh, oh boy! Uh, semifinals, and it was we won the first set, and it's in the breaker in the second, and we're serving six five. Uh, second serve, my partner and I cross, and I had an easy backhand to win it. I remember like yesterday, and uh, I missed it wide, so easy. We would have been in the finals against uh, Lacotte Noah, and or for oh Lecant, wow! So for the finals of Indian Wells, and I missed it, and to this day, that's that's the worst. Uh, defeat i mean I, you know it's only doubles but doubles was my living i made a million dollars playing over 12 years and yeah it was a good it was a great life it was i call it the roman empire of my of my of my life from the age of when i went 18 to college i had a full scholarship so i felt kind of like a big man on campus it was great smaller mm -hmm. school i mean not yep. no football team so and then i went on the tour for for 12 years so from, from 18 to 32 was was basically the best time of my life. Coaching is a little difficult. I had, I've had some problems. You know, it was it was good coaching, but it's just totally different. As you know, you got to have a different mindset. But I enjoyed that too. And, and Ampris, you know, he 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 spent most of his career in Tampa, which was a good move. He had a nice house. I bought a house after I started making money in this gated community, and then he lived in another gated community with a in a much bigger, almost like a mansion. And uh, we used to have, speaking of Hopman's, as you know, they moved from Largo. You probably worked for him at yep. Largo. It I did, Largo. At, it was out. At, they moved out to Wesley Chapel. And uh, there was a, so I lived in North Tampa. And it's about a, you know, 20-minute drive from, uh, from my house. I bought a little single condo house uh, in, 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 in the gated community. And it, there was a contest every time about driving to uh, – you know, all the players who were based in Tampa had a house either in the city or close by. And so we'd have a contest on who could get there the quickest. And Sampras had a 911, the latest model, 90, 
uh, silver, beautiful 911 turbo. And, you know, we'd always come there and go, how long did it take you? Eight minutes, 27 seconds. It was crazy. So one day, Pete uh, is driving. At the time, now it's all developed. But at the time, it was just cow pastures and two-lane highway. I remember. And, you know, and so Pete out to, out to Wesley Chapel. So Pete was driving real fast, incredibly fast out there in a, a Hillsborough County Sheriff sheriff uh, uh, deputy pulls him over. And he's like, oh my gosh. I was really worried because he was going really, really fast in excess of 100 miles per hour. And this is probably, you know, because you wouldn't think that of him, but he was, he was, a, you know, he was a fun guy. So he gets pulled over and, uh, and uh, the cop comes up to him and says, you know, can I license his registration plays? You know, he's a Southern guy. Pete hands it over and he's thinking, oh man, this is, this is not good. I'm going to, I'm going to get in the papers. They're going to, they might even take, take me off the jail. If you go over a certain speed, they, they, sometimes they just take you straight away. So he was really sweating in his car. Florida cops are tough. Yep. So the sheriff comes back, he rolls down the window again, hands him the ID, his ID and licenses. You're a damn good tennis player. You have a great day and walks off and drives off. <laughs> That's classic. So that was, yeah, that was a funny Samper story, but uh, yeah. So he, uh, so we used to we used to have we used to go to dinner. I went to dinner with him maybe fifteen times, and we were you know he was pretty introverted, so he didn't really have many close friends. But he was a nice guy. He always bought dinner. We I agree. Uh, I've met him. I've met him a few times. I actually played him once in dubs too, and uh, played Luke in dubs. He was scarier actually. Uh, Luke's Luke scary. Luke was an intimidating guy. Those two guys six six one like tell Murphy. I mean they've you know they they we got, we got some heated Murphy the Jensen brothers were the precursors to the Bryan brothers you know they right. were that's right they, no, were they, much, were they were they were they were much more intimidating and, and they, they would get the crowd psyched up you know doubles back in the 90s was wild wild west we'd have arguments on the court we'd yell at each other there'd be oh yeah everything was like uh, davis everything was like davis cup back then yes exactly doubles the doubles tour of the 90s now it's you can use your singles ranking so Back then, I thought it was a little. I think the doubles was had a little more depth because there was more teams. It was totally different. You had teams. Now it's like guys playing singles, specialists, hooking, hooking up with another guy. No, they're great players. There's no question. But we really dissected the sport in the '90s with doubles when we had teams and where to stand and so forth. I really appreciate you having me on your show, and and, and yeah. this has been great. I was going to say I really appreciate. I was just about to say that this is really. Uh... Really been great. It's great to you know reconnect. I'm I'm happy to know that you and I were in touch and friends the whole time you were in San Diego. I didn't know that. That's great, Shaka. That's great, and um, I'm glad you're settled in Hawaii and having a good time there and playing ball and staying in shape and all that stuff. And well, if you're on the tennis court, you're staying in somewhat better shape than most. How's that? I, I hit with this one guy incidentally, Pete Fowler, friend of mine. He uh he played college basketball at DU, one of the best players to ever play there so i hit balls with him but right now i'm just taking a little hiatus from coaching and uh, i just uh work at the hotel a few days i jump in the ocean every day it's a, a block great. away great and it's nice i like i like i like it right now my window's open at 80 degrees but jack it's great to see you man i keep hey. doing what you're doing i will you're a tennis guru you are a tennis guru you need to get out there more often buddy hey thanks man and by the way my one of my absolute best friends in life lives in maui and so next time i come through you want to hit a few balls i'd love to come on over i'll get you a nice rate at this hotel come over for a couple of days and uh we'll hit some balls mr brody 
Man, I'd love that. Mark, thanks so much, buddy. It's been a pleasure. A Have real a pleasure. Aloha. Aloha. Aloha, brother.